0: Episode 240 of the PJ Archive is one of many interviews I've been fortunate to do with the highly successful English television presenter Michael Aspel. Michael went from being a regular BBC TV newsreader to fronting famous series such as Crackerjack, Ask Aspel, Aspel and Company, Give Us a Clue, This Is Your Life and The Antiques Roadshow. This interview took place in Surrey in 2012, and Michael began by explaining he didn't set out to be a presenter.
1: I never intended to be one, and I wouldn't suggest it to anybody else. I mean, I made a very good living. I, was, I mean, it sounds false modesty, but I feel like very lucky, you know. I didn't intend to do it. I wanted to be an actor. I got drawn into it, and, uh, and it worked, and they kept asking me, and I kept doing it. Simple as that. I wanted to be an actor and did my national service and my father was very sensitive about it so he get a job or get out. So I did both and um, I took a job which was a maker of beds in Vauxhall. Myers, makers of comfortable beds and they were so nice and they wanted me to be their star salesman and I had no intention of doing that. But it was a job and they were nice and uh, they bought me a suit and they sent me down to Cardiff to learn the betting trade, uh, learn retail side uh, from one of their customers. And while I was there, I did amateur drama and stuff like that. People said, you really should... And one of them knew, a, had a father who'd done some broadcasting, and he told me the name of a producer. I didn't write to the BBC, I went to her home. Very cheeky, this actress. She was the, the leading lady of Welsh drama, you know. Rachel Howell Thomas. And I tapped on the door, and she was lovely. She um, advised me who to write to and what to do mm-hmm. and I did and I took down these, these books with, you know, that I could do different accents on and all that I was totally foolish I didn't know what mm-hmm. to do obviously and stood with my back to the microphone for a while and they, they listened behind a, a, a screen, screen you know. mm-hmm. and because I could do all these accents and they needed somebody as I was leaving the building after the audition they came running back and said after me said, could you do an Irish accent and could you and I was on the air the next week and children's hour serial playing, and just kind of learned at the microphone, and then was taken on by the, by the rep, not just a freelance. And while I was a freelance, I was doing labouring sites and, and flowers and stuff, all kinds of odd things, just to be free to do the broadcast when they came up. And Then I got a full-time job, and then they said, "Oh, they're looking for announcers at Lime Grove in London," so I went back there to wear the communal dinner jacket. So that was how, it, and then just went on the acting thing, just shifted away because, as I said, they just given me things to do on television.
0: And obviously you've had a fantastic career, but have you often thought, mm, if i done the acting, I would have done these?
1: Yes. I don't know whether I've been any good.
0: What was the height of your acting career?
1: I did the Say Who You Are, the comedy mm-hmm. thing with Pete Murray yeah. and Eunice Stubbs and Kimberlough. And uh, that was a bona fide professional thing. And the narrator, but... That was a real challenge, of course. You and there's
0: all we did all those sketches,
1: yeah. yes. So I enjoyed that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, and then we did this strange programme called Sex, Lies and Michael Aspel, which was a spoof. Mm, yes. And... Um,
0: i got people really going. Oh,
1: absolutely. I've got hate yeah. mail, all kinds of stuff from it. But uh, uh-huh. when I was asked, I thought, why not? Yeah. It'll be fun and it'll be, give me a chance to do that kind of thing. And, I, and am I intending to build a career at this point in my life? So I, I did it, and uh, it was such fun, and I had lived and and all that stuff, and it was just everything I really w- wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But film acting was really what
0: I wanted to do. But you were telling me earlier you've been in one movie. Just uh, yeah, I did Ringo's the one movie, the Magic Christian. Tell us about that and what Ringo was like.
1: I didn't actually meet Ringo on oh, that. I met Ringo on my chat show many years later. But I knew he was in it, and um, and I, I had a scene, a riverside scene somewhere in Buckinghamshire with um, Wilfred Hyde-White.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't remember what I had to ask him, and we had to keep interrupting it because he had to go indoors to watch the telly because the races were on, and it was part of his contract that if racing was on, he shouldn't be allowed to miss it. As a result, he wasn't concentrating very much, and he, he kept getting the answers wrong in the interview but, and then said he, he asked me the wrong question. Yeah. I thought, well, blame me if you like. Okay. That's all right. I'm still here. I thought the money would be tremendous. That was it. I thought this is I can get thousands and thousands of dollars because they all do and I got two bottles of whiskey
0: <laughs>
1: mm. and I don't drink whiskey <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: how long were you on that film for? It, sort of a brief appearance?
1: oh something? yes I was, it was not more than a minute or two but it, it looks alright when I saw it mm. by chance on television That I switched it on late one night and it came up on that very scene and I was, I was, I was pleased with it yeah, yeah. normally you cringe back but I, I thought this was alright I thought that was the beginning of my film career. I really thought everything was going to take off, as a tinsel town would be, and all that. But then, I wouldn't have been a successful film actor because I didn't have the striking enough features, you know. You've got to have a big hooter or or Mm. something special.
0: Not Jimmy Durante.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, not that special. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nothing, of course, nothing happened because I was just being me. They didn't ask me to play a part. They just asked me to be a television bloke. And finally, my father used to tease me about artistic pretensions and all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I did start getting busy on telly, he used to be very embarrassing because I used to send him off for holiday and he would take photographs and he'd distribute them to all the other guests who hadn't asked for them. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But um, all the presenter did, in my case anyway, was really just to wander from programme to programme been given scripts, rewriting them and doing the program. I, mean, I never originated anything or really contributed in that sense. I should have done more, I should have been more present with the editing of programs I felt, because I, I can do, I think I would have been good at editing, I, I, I can rewrite stuff quite well and I enjoyed doing that. So you know, it was <coughs> it's been a very good life, but turned um, things.
0: Really? But mm-hmm. it has it's been a phenomenal career <laughs> Well it's gone <laughs> a
1: long time. Mm-hmm.
0: You've done some great programs. I mean, I wrote to you to ask Asper. Oh yeah, and <laughs> you and Danny Baker. <laughs> yeah. <probably. laughs> yeah. Never got...
1: I think I asked to see something about the Olympics. Funny
0: enough.
1: Because, oh. Yeah. Did you Did you I see th- it? I don't, no, I don't think it did. Come no, up, no, I mean, did you Danny. Really didn't. Danny did of course,
0: you know, mm. like Yes, I wouldn't have seen the letters either, of uh, course. No, I'm no, no, them. no don't play you first. But I do, after all these years. Please accept my phone. <laughs> but um, no, I just thought, in a way, you'd, you'd want your children to sort of go through that, because you've had such a you've had
1: a wonderful career. It never came up, to be honest. Uh, my daughter showed signs of, of being interested, but then she got married and had children, yeah. and then that was that. But they've all ploughed their own furrow. And like all kids, they haven't been very interested in what I've done. They don't. Yeah. You know, they, they might be kiss the screen when the weatherman's on or something like that when they're babies, but I think they've ever watched yeah. much of the programmes I've done. Mm. That's just what I do.
0: While we're on your career, have you got lots of ambition still in television so on?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm quite saddened when I watch documentaries now and realize that they 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 don't feel that narration is an important part. They just seem to be give give the narration part to someone in the office or a member of the filming yeah, team, so that you get quite good programs that are kind of lessened by the sort of throwaway yes. style of presenting. Yeah. There was this thing last night on the queen's mother in law, you know, yeah, yeah. and it was so. Dull in presentation, mm. that it w- what m- would have been a thrilling program in a way yeah. became sort of mundane. So, I would like to, I suppose, do a bit more of that. And yeah. I would like to, I would like to originate and write a program for a change instead of just rewriting. And, so uh, was, was I don't it? know. Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, I'm not an ideas man, sadly. No. Except I, I say that, and then I think, well, hang on, they used to ask me to write all these articles, which I did. Yeah. So, perhaps i have just no longer an idea. <laughs> I'll Sorry. tell you what I, what I have done and what I would have liked to have done is, 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 the, is acting, you know, because I've, in the last few years I've, been, I've done the Rocky Horror Show a couple of times yeah. and they've they made it more of a thing than just being the narrator. You yeah. learn the part and got fully involved. I did that a few times and a, and a couple more pantos. These are not big, big stuff. But I've, I'm, you know, I have been asked a few times but ironically it was because I couldn't do them because of the programmes I was yeah. doing. But now I'm not doing you the programmes. You. The times past, I yeah. fear, but I probably felt most happy doing that.
0: So perhaps another Pantone this Christmas?
1: Well, yeah, but I'd like to do a, do a play, there must be yeah. something with some part of an old geezer. the
0: message out, <laughs> yes. for doing the <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Of the award for Newsreader from the Deaf Organisation, that was
1: a... Yes, that was the very first present I ever had for broadcasting. The, the Joy of Getting It, which was at some grand affair at the Dorchester or something like that, where there was serious awards were being handed out, and there was this one, which uh, is probably the most handsome award I've got, and I've got a few others. I thought it was extremely handsome, and um, it was a new idea. No one had ever dreamed it up, but the, the Society for the Deaf, they, um, they decided to give this award, and inevitably, of course, it went to a newsreader, because who else sits and looks at the viewer and rabbits for minutes at a time mm-hmm. and it's most important that they do mm-hmm. are clear and so I think we all got one in turn Richard mm-hmm. Baker, Robert Dougal mm-hmm. uh, Kenneth Kendall, myself but it didn't make it any less joyful to get but to have one's name engraved on it and then a very posh looking piece of artwork mm-hmm. i absolutely thrilled mm-hmm. and I, you know, everybody clapped like mad and I felt top of the world mm-hmm. it was you, Great. you find
0: it quite emotional because I've been watching the Olympics and People crying, but I suppose different day of training for that moment, whereas you mm.
1: were not but... Oh, that's the other thing, everybody cries on television, that's the thing yeah. that drives me mad more than anything. So the they force the tears out of people. They do, but, yeah.
0: when they're
1: interviewing them at the Olympics, so you must be very emotional. Yeah, wait, wait, t- come on, yeah. you know, are you going to cry? We've only got ten seconds. Yeah. And everybody cries about everything.
0: Yeah.
1: They say, yes, I had a lovely holiday, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. and they've
1: gone. I just, uh, it's weird, there's yeah. some dreadful disease sweeping the country. Yeah we never cried no I didn't cry when I got the award I beamed like mad and we all sat down
0: have you ever got a BAFTA award for like BAFTA fellowship or anything like that no somebody put
1: me up for membership but I didn't I haven't gone through with it yet I used to do the BAFTA awards and I did one I don't know what happened something I was inspired in something I don't know I just I got all these letters afterwards from uh, Jimmy Tarbuck and, and Ronnie Corbett and and people in broadcasting and channel heads saying what a good job I'd, I'd done it was just one of those nights okay. where you were kind of you were on form yeah, yeah. and it got better and better yeah, yeah. and Princess Anne at the end said special thanks to our host and they all stood up and yeah. I mean it, it, just that yeah. the rest of the time I did a good workman like job yeah. but this was was special so I do if I think back I mean, if I get really gloomy which I try not to I think well, that was all right. If I could yeah. do that, then I'm all right. And I did, so yeah. that's okay.
0: But every year I watch those, you know, they give a fellowship someone who's a layman yes. and show business. But they haven't included you, and I don't, don't you feel overlooked?
1: Well, who knows how they work? I mean, I've, I've no idea. I do quite often feel like the invisible man now. That's the, that's the worst thing about stopping work. You begin to feel invisible, whereas you were highly visible before. And you haven't realised... I don't, I don't, uh, I've never been expected to be recognized in the street. Never, I've never gone for that or looked for it or expected. It's taken me by surprise quite often. Now, the average young person would have no idea of any of the programs that I did, so they're not going to say uh, anything special. And so, inevitably and quite acceptably, goes, goes down. You you look exactly the
0: same. you always look the same. You have a very youthful appearance. Well,
1: well, thank you. Thank you very much. But uh, Yes, I think mean, p- people do say that, but nevertheless, the younger ones would never have seen me to know whether they recognize me or not. Mm. So that's, that's what ha- is happening. What do people say you when they see you, uh, you see Well, uh, the nicest one ever was a year or so ago, but well, this isn't typical, yeah. but this is, it was the loveliest thing ever. Some young woman at uh, the, uh, the war rooms, there was something going on there, Vera Lynn was there and those were other people, there was something happening in the war rooms, you know, the old subterranean yes, thing. There, yeah. Yes. And this young woman, she just turned, all standing there, watching and listening, and she said, I just want to know you have been part of my life since I was a child, and that any time you want to come and stay with me and my husband in the country, you would be very welcome, because um, I'm very fond of you, and that kind of thing. And I said, well, thank you very much. And she wrote a letter afterwards to repeat that, and she turns out to be the granddaughter of Neville Chamberlain. But it was such a warm and sincere, yeah. and extended kind yeah. of thing that I almost felt related to It, it just—it was yeah. so nice. And other people come up the streets; they still miss you and thing uh, and or they would just say, "You are Michael Aspel," <laughs> and you say, "I know," <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they're usually friendly. They don't shout out yeah. any, any rude things. Uh, unfair to a poor old guy. But um, <laughs> I
0: can not imagine anyone's ever been rude to you. I think you're held in tremendous. Well, if you, if you
1: knock around doing jovial stuff all your life and people, by osmosis, you become part of their life, I suppose there's no reason why you should be unwelcome. But, yes, I do feel slightly that I have become invisible. I mean, I still get letters from... Not letters, I still get the magazine from television society, but I, I don't get asked to, to do anything or get involved with any discussions or, or anything at all.
0: Have you had the honours, like an MBE I got an OBE. An OBE, food services to broadcast? Yes, okay.
1: which I think really got started by the telethon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. There was a kind of call for some, but it was just over, th- over the three years, but that hardly builds up to a body of work. But so I suppose that's what it was, just having been around for so long. Yeah. I got that. What about a survival? Uh, that won't happen. But I, don't, I don't see how it could happen because. The time has passed, that won't happen. I've had my, my helping. In any case, they're chucking him around, aren't they, to be honest? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's so many sirs. You know, I'm a, of the age when you, th- you thought a sir was somebody who'd really done something really yeah. Worth yeah, yeah, yeah. worthwhile. And yeah. I mean, this talk about the, the athletes versus the civil servants. Yeah. Well, you know, the civil servants, they may get good pensions and the rest of it, but they, a lot of them have done important work for yeah. many decades. I think that's fair enough. I think you can't just load everybody who's won a medal. At the first Olympic was stuff like that. I mean, otherwise, you know, for their own sake, you're lowering the any value the thing might have. But most people don't know what an MBE is bet- between an OBE and a CBE and a knighthood yeah. and all that. It's just you've got that. You are you've been recognised. Yeah. And you know, very nice to have, and I didn't hesitate. You know, didn't have to go through any. I remember taking the family down. As everyone seemed to to the, um, the Savoy Grill for lunch, yes. said to the head waiter, I've come for a job, but he didn't laugh. So we just went in there for lunch. <laughs> tell me about the Alan Partridge thing, I didn't know about that.
0: Who told you that uh, you were an
1: inspiration? I think it was through Jonathan Ross. I think Jonathan Ross didn't tell me directly, but I heard from someone that Jonathan Ross had told them, to the third party, that, that Steve Coogan had based Alan Partridge on me. Yeah. And uh, when I think about it, you know, because I've yeah. never, all the, all the jobs in television, they're all so compartmentalised, that people yeah. like me will be regarded by comics as just rather strange objects, you know. Really, they would, not unless they were brought up on Ask Astable themselves. Yeah. But, so it, they said, yeah, he based him on you. And I thought, I, I do think so isn't likely is it there's nothing about me that people can seize on but when I if you look and when I looked again at it and I looked at the hairstyle and this voice which was BBC modulated as okay. my old newsreader days, which has stayed obviously and he's probably right mm-hmm. so I will I will have been immortalised by this character mm-hmm. so I should be very grateful
0: you'll have to start going oh ho
1: <laughs> I think he probably embellished it a bit yeah, yeah, yeah. gave it gave it personality oh. <laughs>
0: did, have you ever met Steve Coogan
1: never have no but I love his creation I, like yeah. I love everything he does mm. I think that thing he did uh, with the trip recently yes. that was brilliant with Rob Brydon yeah. yeah very good wonderful
0: yeah
1: Yeah. I, I watch a lot I, I see what goes on if you and still had your chat show would you like to was he
0: someone you'd like to have on yes
1: I would I certainly would I'd yeah. like to talk to him that, yes I wish the chat show had been as good as the radio show then we would have been Away. I thought the chat show was a great success. Yes, it was, it was just that the radio capital Radio had been such a huge success. Yes. And I had, I had really, on that occasion, been able to really design the interviews and all that myself. Mm-hmm. Just got research from my researcher who had a PhD in Medieval French, that was her yes. no qualification. Mm-hmm. And of course you had the commercial breaks and the records, you could pace it, yeah. talk to them about what you are going to talk about next. And it, it always worked. Mm-hmm. So that was really, really nice. So, but we're going to the television, it was all kind of agreed between the guests and the mm-hmm. people and the girl, and I'm sure the first questions that this girl gave me to say to George, the American comic actor, the theme George actor. Siegel. George Siegel. he? Ah, yeah. Yeah. well, anyway, he was my very first guest, okay. with Paul McCartney and uh, mm-hmm. Tracy Ormer. And um, the first question that someone suggested I say was, you're still a very attractive man, aren't you? And I said I can't say yeah, that. They said, "Well, he is." And I said, but yeah, "Yes, but you're nineteen and you're sang. female, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. not. You yeah. see, and I can't say that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what you were up against.
0: Did you end up having
1: to say it? No. Yeah. Oh no, no, I wasn't. I, I did put my foot down occasionally, yeah, yeah. and then it got to ad lib situations, which were the best, and yeah, it should yeah, have yeah. always been like that. Yeah. But there, there was—I mean, the radio was glorious. I mean, talking to Bing Crosby and saying to him, "Do you remember that record you made?" and he'd say. No, I never did. I was going to it. I never did. I said, he went, here it is. Oh, yeah. So I did. And he'd be amazed that he'd done so much work yeah, in his yeah, life yeah. and I was able to show him something he'd forgotten about. Yeah, yeah. And they loved it. And they went. They used to go away thinking think, that guy's really done his homework and that yeah. is really yeah. what it's about.
0: Yeah. Elizabeth Taylor, yes. was, was she, would you say of all the guests you had on your chat show, she was your favourite? I think... You always
1: spoke very affectionately Well, she had to be. She, she had to be my favourite because she was destined to be my favourite on it because she was the only person I ever wrote a fan letter to. Oh, okay. And I was 14 because yeah. we were the same age. Yeah. And she'd done National Velvet. Yeah. And I wrote this fan letter.
0: Has she ever got it?
1: Well, yes, because a year later, it seemed a year later, yeah. I got a signed photograph of her, except that I wet the signature and it didn't run. But nevertheless, yeah. it was from her sense I yeah. got a response.
0: Have you still got that
1: one? No, no. I was 14. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, so what, how much of a fan is that? I haven't got it. And so, and so when she came on, I mean, I introduced her like that, so she, that would have pleased her, of yeah, course. Yeah. And, uh, and she was so honest, such fun, so raunchy. I remember one paper said afterwards, why did it have to be such an obsequious and kowtowing interview, and I said, that's well, not fair, she was just pleased to see me, but she was lovely, and when, the, when the, she had the mic stuffed up between her legs, and when it clattered to the floor, she laughed in such a way that I knew we were going to be on a winner, and uh, we got the audience to ask a few questions, and normally, when a, an American guest finishes on a chat show, they leave the seat, they leave the studio, they, I mean, they just leave the building, they're gone, that's that. And some friends wanted to see her. And I said, well, you can come to the show, but she, you won't meet her, but she, you'll be able to see her. Well, she stayed for a drink, and um, they all met her. And this best, you knew about the kiss, did you?
0: You did tell me at the time. Yes, I minders. did. Well, I
1: mean, it was just, it was so, <laughs> such fun. The fact You always have photographs taken standing together on the set, which they never use anywhere. You never see them again. You don't even get copies. But anyway, there we are. And she said to me, Have I got any lipstick on my teeth? And because it had gone well, I I said, No, but I wouldn't mind some on mine. And she didn't, she just laughed or smiled indulgently. And then we went off to the do and she met everybody and it was the sweetest pie. And then I just saw her out of the corner of the eye glossing up and she just grabbed my face between her hands and went, (coughs) Right across the cheek here. And I went, Tissue, tissue, and got this print. Have you still got that? No. Oh, boy, I God. kept kept it in the bedside drawer for emergencies for a oh, long time. See, I don't know what happened. They're so flimsy and all that yeah. that they get swept away. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it was marvellous.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was so good-humoured and, and lovely. And like Sinatra, if you remember, when Sinatra, just towards the end, got his voice back. Yes. And about ten years from his death, he, he could sing again. Mm. And she became beautiful. In that period, you know, she, she just hit the right weight, facelift thing, mm-hmm. and she was great. And then, of course, it, it all deteriorated, yeah. but I caught her at the right time, oh, yeah. so I'll always be grateful for that.
0: Was your Meg Ryan, as it were, like Michael Parkinson had that nightmare with Meg Ryan, who was, did you have
1: that? The most difficult person I ever talked to was, uh, she was in Six Million Dollar Man, she was the girl in that. Lindsay Wagner? Lindsay Wagner. I didn't dislike her. it because I was a tremendous fan of the thing. But the first question is usually a settler, yeah. you know, it's just almost a journey, kind of just yeah. to get your bum settled. But I asked her something, it took about eight minutes, you know, and, and I started to say, well, and she said, I hadn't finished yet. Okay. And I thought, well, I wish you had, I wish yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was kind of like that. And there was another, the, the, the moment the show went cold, you talk about Oliver Reed, it was just... Terrific
0: fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. But we pretended to behave ourselves at he the time. A jug
0: of gin, didn't he, or it was. It
1: looked like orange juice, but yeah. you know, it looked like orange juice. And he'd stop several times, on the way, because the the person who accompanied him, he'd just stopped off again for another. <laughs> so he'd had about fifty-five gins by the time he'd arrived. But it's um, the people not understanding each other. Kenneth Williams would always turn up, whatever. If you were let down by a guest, yeah. he would come. Yeah. He would come on his own account, he would stand in, he, no, didn't, he mm-hmm. didn't care. He came on this one show, and we had the girl who played uh, Loretta Swift, who was Fat Lips, and she was lovely, yeah. and she was enchanted by him. Oh. He was like a little goblin, she just yeah, loved yeah. him, yeah. and uh, you could see that. And then she just reached over and, and, and embraced him. Well, he, he didn't like that, no. he recoiled. He actually sort of you know, shrank back from it, and she realised that he didn't like what she'd just done, and the atmosphere just went like that. It was a very bad moment. But anyway, the, the Elizabeth Taylor yes, do yeah. the uh, the Elizabeth Taylor thing. She uh, she sent me this afterwards, and and it's just the way she said, "Thanks for a fun evening." Yeah. I always like to think yeah, that yeah. it implies something a bit naughty, <laughs> had nothing to do with an interview at all. We just went out for dinner and life. Yeah. Followed on, <laughs> yes. so uh, it was nice, and she yeah. might possibly have meant it that way because yeah. she was quite naughty. Did
0: you ever come across her again at all?
1: No, there was a, there was a t- talk that sh- a suggestion that I was going to be involved somehow in her the release of her perfume over over here. Yeah. I can uh, but it didn't happen. But it certainly yeah. talked about because she'd enjoyed it so much. Yeah, exactly. Which was nice. Yeah, a great moment for you. Hmm. Yeah. Was I know it can moment? be the as you like. I loved it.
0: Was there anyone you didn't get on in
1: touch with, You never got to interview. You always wanted to meet, like Sinatra or Elvis Presley. Well, we nearly got Sinatra. Really, I mean, that's, that's anyone can say that. But, but that was on capital really, because um, Richard Attenborough was the chairman, and he knew everybody, mm. and that he was. We really got top mm. not to guests, probably you through him. And he you know, told me that Sinatra said to him. If I was going to do it for anybody, Dickie, I would do it for you, but I can't do it, so we didn't get that. But it was that close. And you would have agreed not to talk about things, of course, but he he didn't do it. I mean, there were were sticky moments with some people. But once they realised that you weren't a foot-in-the-door journalist, that you really wanted to talk about them and their interests, and, and shared interests, which helped it move along, you're okay. There were some people which didn't understand. I had a terrific, terrific fun on a regular basis with um, Mel Brooks.
0: Yes. Yeah, he's fun. Yeah, have you met him? I'm no, sure. I am sure well. Did you like him? Oh, yes, I did. He was quite a character. Well, he was tremendous. Yeah, he's a really
1: And he was character. S- and he, I mean, he used to come on the chat show and, and say, yeah, uh, uh, the, uh, the researcher who had been with them all day—I forget her name—Claire, perhaps she'd be sitting in the rehearsal on each show. Claire, go to your room and um, my dressing room and wear that thing I bought you. <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> she was crimson. <laughs> but it was always good value. And um, he, I, he said to me on the television chat show once. He said, "Look, you, because I never agreed with them. What question I was going to ask when it came to that?" And he said, "You say to me you lost your father at an early age because I'd met him on Capitol several times by now." So we was relaxed. And uh, he said, you say that. I said, oh, will that, will that produce something good? Yeah. He said, yeah, just say So I said, um, and you lost your father at an early age. And he said, lost him? If we lost him, I would have gone to look for him. He we died. <laughs> well, it wasn't that funny. Yeah. And then about a year later, or months later, I got a check for $600 from an American program, which was based on what happens if you ask a silly question you know those are these Mm. clips from different shows. I thought it was rather ironic because it's very nice to ask (laughs) you because I got $600 so thanks very much. Mm. And he would send me up on radio telling people that I was wearing shoes with goldfish in the heels and Mm. different dresses and stuff. (laughs) What do
0: you think about Michael Parkinson saying that no chat shows these days are proper chat shows anymore, they don't ask very proper questions and they're all comedians playing it for themselves and all that. Well, really,
1: what they're, what they're doing is simply going back to their origins. Mm. I mean, it, every American chat show host throughout history has been an entertainer. Mm. They've been actors or comics themselves. They all know that the, the guests because mm. they all live near each other and pass by mm. and have worked together. And that's really the, what it's always meant to be. I mean, the, chat, the British chat show is, is a, bit, a bit between a sort of panorama and, and a comedy show with the laughs if you can get them.
0: Who, hmm? who do you enjoy watching?
1: Is that as a chat show show most? Well, to be honest, I don't. I don't watch. I know. I know that Graham Thingy is extremely.
0: He's very quick, he?
1: Popular, and he is yeah. very quick, yeah. and he we is in that mould of entertainer guy, yeah. okay. and and uh, he does it marvelously mar- 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 well. Yeah. I mean, the kind of programme I just watch all the time will be this QI. And it's just, uh, just fabulous programme. Yeah. It's got everything you could want. It's mm. a perfect TV programme.
0: Do you think Michael Parker was the
1: best chat show host ever? Do you go along with that, or do you think, what about me? Well, I, I tug my forelock in his direction because what he did was that. I, I was too much of a dilettante. I did all kinds of programmes and, and all that stuff mm-hmm. and went from one to another. Mm-hmm. He did the chat show and, and did it early. I mean, he had huge gaps, went 14 yeah. years when he never was on television mm-hmm. at all. as now Sir Michael. But he, he got that because he, he was ingrained in people's consciousness mm-hmm. as the chat show host. And you know, he, he became parky and all that. Mm-hmm. And it was all very comfortable and nice and mm-hmm. a part of people's awareness. So, yeah, good luck to him. How
0: many series of Antiques Roadshow did you do? I did eight
1: years of that, which 15 on This is real life. But yes, eight, which is exactly the same. I did eight years as a newsreader from 1960 to 68. And eight years with the Roadshow 2000 to 2008, mm-hmm. which has had no relevance whatsoever. Complete, but but um, yeah. you know, I just think it's neat.
0: I mean, you must have been asked to open so many fates and shops and things down the years. Have you got any lovely anecdotes of a shop opening or a fate or something that you did where I know perhaps you were mistaken for somebody else? Or Although that
1: happens all the time, of course. I remember being followed round <laughs> a fate by a by a woman like oh, Obviously, she is a fan or <laughs> she you know, watches the program, and she just. Wanted to say you you, you look a drip on television and you look a drip in the flesh, just the way to Yes. Horrible. Mm. So that uh, sorted me out. <laughs> it, so yeah, like you always remember the nasty ones. To mm. oh, well. She was dragged off and clubbed down <laughs> and <it was. laughs> by my henchmen. <laughs> we were doing the Antiques Roadshow, where the Queen Mother was, was brought up. Long, Glam's, so, yeah. thank you. And, uh, as you may know, it's gigantic, you know, yes. the car park goes for miles. And some woman came up and said, well, if my mother knew you were here, she'd, she'd go mad. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, where is she? She said, she's in the car, not feeling very well. So I said, well, it's going go so and say hello. So I said to the producer, I'm just going off for a bit. And off we went. She was the far side of the car park, it was a long walk. And just as we approached the car, she said, she'll be so pleased to see you, Mr. Parkinson. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, how ill is she? You know, <laughs> we don't want to give her any terrible shocks. But luckily, she just got the name wrong. It was all right.
0: Oh, okay. She did. Yeah. That is funny. I'd love to know how you really felt about being replaced on the Antiques Roadshow.
1: Well, I, I, was, I was slightly disappointed that my resignation was seized upon so readily. I mean, it was quite obvious if, if I showed the slightest bit of a tiredness or whatever. I, not that I did, I think. We had a meeting and they said, well, now we have to talk about this. And I, and, uh, I knew what they were going to say. So I said, yes, it's OK. I, uh, this will be my last series. And the, the relief was colossal. Mm. Mm. And a few of the experts said, mm, this is wrong, you shouldn't be going. So that is how... But you were still
0: as good as ever. I mean, well, like I, I, yeah, was I was doing... You doing... your lines or anything like that, was no, that. No, I was doing
1: a fair job, but they simply felt, and I, bang, so as I can understand that, that they wanted to get away from this sort of, uh, you know, the middle-aged sort to elderly English bloke plodding around and let's get some glamour in there. And um, I've had people come up in the street regularly saying, miss you, although of course they all watch it on yesterday and still think they're doing it. And occasionally someone will say, oh good, I'd love to see a good-looking woman, which is quite understandable, so do I but uh, yeah, depends on the reason, context.
0: I watched it since the Oh, I watch all the time. I never miss the show. What do you think of Fiona's uh,
1: presentation? Mark? Great. <laughs> she does a great job and yeah. she looks very beautiful. Yeah. And that's what they wanted. So yeah. it's entirely successful. Yeah. I just um, wish I'd been a little more beautiful and I could still be doing it. <laughs>
0: what were your highlights on that show? You must have had some great moments because it was a brilliant show.
1: Yes, I was there when this bloke brought this watching. A big wristwatch, aviator's watch, if you call them, which in itself was worth a few quid. This is one of my my very first show, I think, and um, I was excited. Enough that he brought this in, and a receipt for repairs made out to an aircraftman Ross, who, of course, was Lawrence of Arabia in another guise which is when he was in the RAF and changed his name. But it's him. And it, the, the value went up. It was sold eventually, I think, for about £60,000. And this guy didn't even know that Lawrence of Arabia was a real person. Oh. He thought he was like Biggles, you yeah. know, like least these a Fictional cool. character. Yeah, yeah, a fictional character. So that was a thrill, because Lawrence of Arabia was my boyhood hero. Right. And to see this and hold this watch, yeah. you know, and that was the very, very first day. That was a real, a real thrill. And they used to give me jobs, like Fiona, bits of human interest, not... Requiring any expertise, but I got one box of the thing I was given, which was a little. She had her, was from her father's from the First World War. It was a little, khaki bag, small thing, and on the outside was a little hole, and it was packed inside. Was not military stuff. It was, it was all, French views, not naughty ones, just French views, and, and at the bottom of all of them it said Souvenir de la Guerre, and right in the middle of this pack of cards was the bullet yes. and this woman's father had had it on his back apparently during the first world war it was just a, a marvelous story not worth anything intrinsically but it was that it was like and that's what i loved about the show it was it was lovely to see things that were genuine obvious worth yeah. you know but things with the story attached to them which yeah. is because is what they're always looking for anyway because the show is that mixture of history lesson and detective story and game show. It's got all those elements in it. Yeah, it's brilliant. So it was totally satisfying, that, that programme to do. So did you ever take
0: anything along that you'd always wanted, if it was worth
1: anything? I took a photograph of some teacups. My auntie left, and it was worth nothing. Okay. So that was all. But they were very good, the experts. I mean, I quite often, I took similar photographs of stuff that other friends had, and they would mm-hmm. give a genuine... One of them, my friend had some little pistols in the case, and this chap gave him a proper worded a uh, guess they their worth, and that uh, was right, I mean, they didn't expect that, I thought he might say, well, they're worth 5,000 or something, but he actually gave them the whole works, and that's what they were like. Yeah. You know, they never took offense, never said, oh, get off. <laughs> Although the first first night, when they all had the dinner with the, the uh, experts, who then go to bed very late, day yeah. before the show, one of them did this thing, I know you might have heard this, he just said, no, mm-hmm. It was quite aristocratic. some. there were several uh, titled people uh, in the crew. Yes, yes. And you uh, know <laughs> this funny little snuffling noise. I said, "I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean." I <laughs> said, "I'm sorry, sorry I, can't, I can't, can't understand you." And what he was saying was sequins, because he associated me with come dancing. Oh, okay. And the last time I'd done come dancing was on my 27th birthday. Mm-hmm. I only have done it once or twice. So I suppose that's the last time he watched television. <laughs> Anyway, He got thrown off the show because he had dirty fingernails and when they started getting HD, they could see all the... because <laughs> he was a gardener. <laughs> what about a very royal anecdotes? You must have met them and different
0: ones the over the years. Uh,
1: well, I went to lunch at the Palace once <laughs> in 1968. Oh. I didn't believe it was true because I was at Alexandra Palace and they, they were always playing jokes in you know, the reporters and they would, they would ring you up and pretend there was someone and... And they, you know, put on funny voices and he... And, uh, and this person rang and said that he was the master of the Queen's household and I'd been invited to Buckingham Palace for lunch. And I said, oh, now I can't do that and do, turn around that day. Oh, sorry, no, no, there will be other occasions. And then came this card, which was printed slightly skewed. And I thought, this is a bit elaborate, this joke. But anyway, eventually I believed it and went down to have lunch. Because they had, I don't know if you know, they. I think they still do have these lunches yeah. with just eight people. Mm-hmm. Yes, T- yeah, that. just pinpricked across yeah, profession. the professions. There we are. Yeah. Yeah. There we were. I went and we stood around and chatted. Oh. Uh, when I turned up, it's still <laughs> not quite believing. I'm yeah. Austin 1800, I think that. Yeah. Horrible car. And I drove in, and this bloke with bottle tops and all this across, the mm-hmm. and the collar up here, he's in a particular car. And I drove, and I got out, and I locked the door. And he said, "I think you'll find it still here when you come out." And uh, so we we, went. And the Queen was wonderful. I mean, she was absolutely wonderful. I don't know, but I mean, she was so, so relaxed, and made us so relaxed. I mean, a helicopter landed in the grounds, and she said, "I wish they wouldn't do that; it makes the window so dusty." And then the day before, she. Opened the new Mammal House at London Zoo, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: where they turned night into day, so you could see Mm -hmm. the nocturnal creatures Mm -hmm. skittering around, and little dark passages everywhere, Mm -hmm. and I said, what did you think of the new Mammal House, ma'am? And she said, I should think it'd be the perfect place for an assignation, which I thought, that was an amazing thing, Mm -hmm. it was so kind of a cool thing to say, and uh, there was a lot of that, it was a most relaxing, but I did uh, th- I think I was the only one there who was asked if he wanted beer to drink. I went to reach, I was being handed, and knocked this food all over the floor.
0: <gasps>
1: it ghastly. But uh, no one noticed, of course. trouble <coughs> of the end job was we didn't have any photographs taken. I would have thought we'd no. have a picture, and we'll, you know, all we'll sharing a joke, and then go home, but uh, it was a major thing. Yeah.
0: yeah the the Royals are much more accessible now, aren't they? Yeah. In those days, it was like, you know, the world. Yes. William and Harry seem to be giving interviews. I thought that's right, so yeah. a bit strange.
1: I mean, I mean, I was born when, 33. I mean, that was before Edward the Eighth and mm. George the Sixth and all. So you know, I'd been well brought up with uh, full reverence for royalty and all that oh, yeah. deference. Yeah. love the word. Is. So. I
0: think that changed a bit with the Diana thing all, and the kind of... Yes, that's when the nation.
1: Is that's also the precise date the nation started to wear its heart on its sleeve and started yeah. to cry at everything. Yeah. And I've, this other business, which sounds cold-hearted, but when somebody trips over and hurts their knee in the street, say, there's a bunch of flowers there next. from yeah. all these total strangers, same way somebody gets to play for a country, by, because his uncle went there for a holiday 35 years yeah. ago for, for a fortnight. Yeah, there's no real qualification anymore, it's all so specious, isn't it? Yeah.
0: Didn't I see you do a programme about being an evacuee? On yes, the television.
1: we did that. And um, I haven't really kept in touch with uh, with people from evacuation, except that my teacher, my favourite teacher, Miss Guppy, or Audrey as she later allowed me to call her, she disappeared after the end of the wars, that we all did, and um, I gathered, because years later she came back to England and saw me on telly Alexander Palace reading the news and thought, that's my Michael. Got in touch and we had a drink. And then, amazingly, she came to live five minutes from where I live now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I used to go and see her on a regular basis and take her flowers and found a, a chocolate shop called Audrey's that she liked and all that. So it all worked very well. And we had, and she was such fun. She was very old but full of beans and just but bored stiff. Didn't want to hang around anymore. She had no family left and all that. She just didn't know why she was still around but she was still great company and my daughter was quite sensitive she buys thoughtful gifts and she bought Jane she bought me this book about child and its villages because she knew it meant so much to me and I used to take that on my visits quite often and, and bought Audrey her own and just talk about it because it was lovely for her to yeah, to 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 rekindle mm-hmm. memories as well and uh, she was so thrilled with talking about those days and told me all kinds of stuff I didn't know. That the hated headmaster, Mr. Rose, had actually proposed marriage to her. I was outraged. You know, at the age of whatever which she was, and she told me, 78 or something. I, and she said, I turned her down, and I, said, I, saw, I, I said, as I would have advised you at the time. <laughs> so I was awful, nothing but <laughs> him having her. Because she had lovely legs as well, I was the right height to yeah, appreciate. Yeah. You know. But she was lovely, and she died about um, six weeks ago. Mm-hmm age 99 and a half. Mm. She wasn't even that interested in getting her telegram, you know, she, uh, she'd had enough, but she was remarkable. Mm. She was so smart, so elegant. Mm. Everything was color-coded and she looked the business, you know, I, think I miss her a lot. So is it fair to say you had a happy war because you
0: were happier back Yes, you? I did.
1: Yeah. I had an extremely happy war yeah. because the old people left me alone. Mm. Uh, they were old to me, and they were quite old because they had a son in the army, so they were a bit middle-aged, and people were older then. Mm. And, um, she was a bit bad-tempered, and he was a bit of a practical joker, and he told me once that they were showing that this film, Gone With The Wind, had come to the local cinema, and that, uh, that they'd be queuing at nine o'clock in the morning. Mm. Well, I was a film nut, mm. and, uh, as you are, yes. and, uh, I went down there at o'clock the next morning with two pennies in my hand, and it didn't start till two o'clock. And I was joined at about 1.45, by two old ladies and their dog, and my hand had gone all green from the copper.
0: Going,
1: yeah. and uh, and And we were the only people in there, but it was gone with the wind. For, you know, it was the very first time I had reached Britain in 1940, but it did things like that. Hmm.
0: How many years were you for the entire war? You
1: no, it was there four and a half years. Then, ironically, I won a scholarship, and the ironic bit is that the school I went to was based in London but was evacuated itself. So I came back on the train from Somerset to Waterloo Station, and instead of going home to Wandsworth, I got on another train and went down to Hampshire where the school was, and then the book became the border down there. And then went back. I was back in time in London to hear a few buzz bombs, and, and went to the pictures of my mum, and the cinema was hit by be two a week later, so we are still ticking away, but there was the dying moments of the war. I went back to Chard, but the an Antiques Roadshow, they filmed me the oh, going around, because right. so we filmed the Castle Coombe, oh, wow. and uh, I went and knocked on the cottage door and met the new young people who were, wow. who were rebuilding it, as it were, yeah. and but it's still
0: recognisable. What are you writing these days? Are you doing your autobiography yeah.
1: No, I'm not. I did something similar many years ago. In fact, I was really going to write about uh, being an evacuee, yes. and I did some of it, and the publisher said, yes, this would be all right. And, um, and then it became a, a chapter in a book about the evacuation. And then they said, well, you've started. Why not write an autobiography? And I said, well, I'm not old enough. And they said, oh, do it. So I did it, and it was published, and it was just vanished. Oh really? Mm, it was a long time ago. It was thirty, forty years ago. Much too soon. So. You were
0: very
1: popular then too. Weren't uh, yeah, but there wasn't much to talk about <laughs> But uh, anyway, that was that was that. But I do have boxes full of, of articles that I've done, which I've always loved doing. Only asked, of course, because of being on the telly. Oh. But um, it was nice when they said, "Oh, you, you can, you can write." That's good. We didn't expect that, <laughs> so oh. that was okay. I used to write for Ideal Home magazine and for the British Airways. Magazine and all About that. What, Anything that took my fancy. Oh, it was just that kind true. of general yeah. stuff. They didn't give me a subject, I just thought mm. of something. I discovered that if they would ring up and say, Can you do us a, a thousand words on something? I was able to do it, yeah. which is something I'd never known. Yeah. I just assumed I would enjoy being a writer. Yeah. I've had that autobiography published and a children's thing, but you know. Um, the great dream—I don't think it's going to happen. No. Which is what? Well, yeah, the, the finished novel—I'm not going to do it. <laughs> and the state of the novel is very really strange at moment, isn't it? Yes. So you know, I've got a manuscript that I wrote—a story around my disabled son—which we sent to a publisher who liked it, but it wasn't really a page-turner. Okay. So there we are.
0: What about your autobiography? Are you going to do a proper one? No. Why?
1: I don't think it's—I uh, don't like a uh, showbiz autobiography, really. Uh, so I don't think I'd like to do it. Mm. And it's been such a tangled life, really personally, that it would be... I don't want to do a misery memoir, I think, the murder. So I'll keep away from that. The sort of thing I love is, I'm reading for the third time, Simon Gray's smoking diaries, uh, which are such a joy. And and if I could do that, then I wouldn't uh, ask for anything else in, in life.
0: You've had such a fantastic career. Don't you think you could just do a book on your career forget about the
1: past. I could do an anecdotal book. Yes, I could write about things that have happened on the programmes. Yes, I could do that. And that might be good exercise, I suppose. But the darkening caverns of the mind, you know, would I remember them all I need (laughs)
0: to...